You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. But but if you're first joining us for the first time, this is Blue Hen Sports Cage. We talk national, professional, and most of all, University of Delaware athletics. So thanks for finding us. If you've listened to us before, welcome back. And you know we have a great show for you tonight. Let's let's hop into it with the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, I hadn't thought a lot about this team to be honest over the course of the last few weeks. You know, you get off that Super Bowl run, a big high on how the Eagles performed this season, and then following their moves in the offseason, that was really exciting. Villanova, can't forget about them. Exactly. Villanova, you get through them in the Final Four if you're a Philadelphia sports fan. And then obviously right now what the Sixers are doing yep. with their win streak, Markel Fultz coming back. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But lost in all of that is what I find to be a pretty interesting young Philadelphia Phillies team that made a couple interesting moves this Past week, the top move of the re-signing of second baseman slash third baseman utility man, if you will, Scott Kingery, to a six-year extension before Mm -hmm. he made his Major League Baseball debut. A really rare deal. They bring Kingery on. Not only was it surprising that he signed an extension, but it was surprising that he even made the opening day roster. Typically, you see those prospects like uh, the top prospect with Atlanta right now, Okuna, their left fielder. You see them stay down in the minor leagues for a month or two because of service time to give the team an extra year of control over them, but not with Kingry. They re-signed Kingry. Obviously, we talked a few weeks ago about the big move of bringing in Jake Arrieta, which I think changed the tone for this team and for this season, but there's a lot of young guys that are interesting on this team, and you know maybe not a contender yet, but it's a new luck team with a new manager, Gabe Kapler, and something in addition to the Sixers and Eagles for Philadelphia fans to be excited about. Well, I don't want to stick on the Ariata thing too long because it is a little old now, but you just mentioned it, the tone change. So they went from like lottery team to mediocre to let's play, let's get some wins here, maybe sneak into a wild card game. So I like that move by Arietta, and then you talk about Kingery. I mean, we got this guy till 2024. I don't think an organization would make a deal without obviously having some insight and input from others on what this kid can really do and he slowly become the uh, major league heartthrob for uh, most women as well I mean this guy hopefully (laughs) um, is going to give us some big numbers moving forward so I like where the Philadelphia Phillies are are right now and like you like I said earlier I I would like to see this team get a wild card spot Uh, you said they may not be you know a contender right away, that's fine, but I think they're playing with house money right now. I don't think there's any pressure, and it all starts with the Ariata sign. It, that just changed the whole tone of this franchise moving forward. He'll make his season debut April 8th, so he's actually starting the year down in single light just to get a few more spring training-esque starts in before his season begins. Philadelphia, not the only team in action on this opening day. It started with a bang with Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs hitting the first pitch of the major league season for a home run to open up that, that game. Ha- I didn't even see that. That's what happened. Yeah, between the Cubs and the Marlins. You first like that. pitch of the season for any team across baseball and half goes yard. Well, you got to think he's got the green light. I mean, you got a lot of you know energy, testosterone um, running through you, and you just want to swing at the very first one. Pitcher wants to obviously throw it right down the middle, maybe a little heater. I don't, I don't, not a surprise, but that's really cool for the MLB. Yeah, there was a beat writer who covers the Cubs who said, if Hap hits the, a leadoff home run to open the year, I'll jump in Lake Michigan. Oh, wow. And immediately on Twitter was like, I regret this. Lake Michigan, first, here we come. First pitch of That's the season, awesome, and Ian Hap goes yard. The Cubs, the second team to go final today, the Mets defeating St. Louis 9-4, to the Cubs 8-4 to over Miami. Mets the, should be an exciting team as well this year. Yeah, let's talk about them for a little bit with their starting pitching. I yep. think that's always the biggest question mark. Can they stay healthy? Yep. Noah Syndergaard, Jacob mm-hmm. deGrom, Steven Motts. What do you expect from that team? Yeah, You mentioned it. It's health. It's uh, it's the problem with a lot of teams, the Washington Nationals, the if it's the, the Yankees, the Red Sox. But for the Mets, it's the, that 4-5 man uh, powerhouse of a rotation. If, you, if they stay healthy, they're one of the top teams in the NL. In my opinion, they're top three. Um, I know Jake is listening to this somewhere, smiling. Um, but the Mets, if they're healthy, are a top three, top four team, and, and you can book that. Uh, I'd like to see them uh, you know, finally make a run. They've struggled in the last few years. But if, if they can get going a little bit, uh, it's going to be a fun team to watch as well. Yeah, you might be well served to butter up Jake after what happened to those uh, Knicks last night against the Ooh, 76ers in yeah. the fourth quarter. Yeah, without uh, a couple people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
that'll be an interesting team to watch. Yep. Matt Harvey there as well. Who, yes. This could really be it, the make-or-break season for yep. him as far as what his MLB prospects Feels are. Feels like it's a make-or-break season for, for kind of a lot. Not that Matt Harvey is going to go to crap after this, but it, you feel like the clock is ticking on some players this year. Yeah, I would, I would right? agree with that. I, I think Bryce Harper's one. Maybe this is the year for him, or and he's on the move maybe. Um, trade, maybe he's looking at other possibilities. I wouldn't say trade, but sure, the free agency is looming. Yeah. His well, free agency not only looms over his season, but the national season right. as a whole. Mm-hmm. I asked Teddy last week on the show, who's a Nationals fan, does it feel like this is it in that same kind of way for his team? Does this feel like this is the last go-around for the Nationals, yeah. the way they're currently, currently constructed? And I was a little surprised when he said, no, not really. No matter what, this team's going to be 90 wins, and you'll still have to just wait till the to the playoffs to see if they can prove anything. But I kind of am with you is that if Harper leaves, I think that starts this team. And – you know, it could be a case like the Cardinals a few years ago where Albert Pujols signs that massive deal with the Angels yeah. and the Cardinals end up being just fine. But Harper's hitting free agency earlier. I think if he did walk, that would really change the tone for their team in a negative way. And not to say that they'll collapse, but I don't know if they're a 90, whatever they were, 95-win yeah. team last year and the runaway favorites in the National League East. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's like the Spurs and the Patriots. That might not be the best example of because they won in recent years. But how long do you want to be good, and then how long do you just till you just make a run? Maybe go all marble or chips all in on the table and try to go for the championship run or the World Series run or Super Bowl run. I think at some point they have to go all in. It's it's nice to be a winning team every year, but at, at some point. Uh, I'm pretty sure some of those guys, like Bryce Harper, are looking for a chip. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. And you can also catch our other shows, including Uncaged, an episode last week with Jake Lampert, Teddy Gellman, and Ahmed. Uh, Ahmed, what can our listeners expect from that one? From that specific one, we had a lot going on. Bug spray. I'm not going to explain it. Go ahead and check that one out. We had a little bit of politics as well. Trump, the usual... Uh, we talk about a little FIFA 2018 too, so the World Cup there, and of course Teddy Gelman was in the building uh, for possibly his first and last podcast, so you don't want to miss <laughs> that. That was amazing uh, that he was on Uncaged. But we got some good, um, good guests coming up for you as well. We got uh, Udell Daily, Team Nitty. So we got some, we got some exciting. Yeah, t- you got Team Nitty in the works. Uh, it's in the works right now. It's in the okay. works, but they're, they're going to be on. We're going to make it happen, and we're trying to get some uh, athletes too. I don't want to name names, but we will get some University of Delaware athletes on for you. Uh, on Uncaged. So very excited about that. One athlete you might not be getting on Uncaged. That might be a good pickup. We got to try this. I know you. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I mean, if you got him on Uncaged, <laughs> I'd be thrilled. But one athlete that you might have a little bit harder of a time getting on Uncaged now is Ryan Daly. Yes, sir. Who is departing from the University of Delaware after two seasons with the Hens. He scored exactly 1,000 points in a Delaware Blue Hens uniform. When the news was announced, Teddy and I dropped what we call an emergency podcast. That was great, by the way. I mean, within what, a half hour, hour? Yeah, we did our best to get it up as soon as we could. That was pretty good. That was solid. So Teddy and I dropped a podcast with our immediate thoughts, um, which for me, my overwhelming thought was just surprise at the news. I wasn't expecting it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can catch that right now on the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast feed, which again is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Plan on our website, sites.udel.edu slash the KWVD. Just search the name of our show. All that stuff will pop up there. Um, so so you have my thoughts there, 22 minutes of Teddy and I going long on this topic. But this will be your first time, Ahmed, sharing mm-hmm. your thoughts with a little bit more time to kind of digest the news. Yeah. Uh, almost a week from, I guess, a week from tomorrow. Right. Um, Daily announced that his decision to transfer. Ahmed, your overarching thoughts, takeaways from the news of Daily departing. Oh yeah, I mean it's not like sad or disappointing or anything like that. You know, you, even if you are a huge University of Delaware basketball fan, it's something that obviously you can get over. But the word you use is surprised. Like it's just surprising. That's all it is. It's surprising, and it's something you didn't expect. And um, I was talking to you before the show, Brandon. And we were talking about how um, a couple of people joked about it, and after having a, a, a hell of a rookie year, um, uh, there was a couple of rumors here or just guys talking, and we were talking about. Um, uh, Ryan Daly might getting transferred or maybe taking a transfer or uh, whatever his future beyond college basketball is. And we didn't take any of that seriously. It was all kind of just talk. But to see it actually happen is, is very interesting. 
Uh, and very surprising, again, you mentioned all the feats he accomplished at the University of Delaware, um, the kind of uh, relationship he had going, again, with some of these players, um, the really the backcourt of him and Allen to see what that could have been, and a little disappointing, too, because Kevin Anderson, obviously getting hurt, uh, didn't get a chance to have him all year. So really, you kind of think about what could have been, but again, as, as surprising as it is, it is, you have to wish him the best. Um, he did give us two good years, a, a guy who was just a hustle player every time he was on the court. And and I say every time he was on the court, I just I, I guess he wasn't off the court that yeah, much. A guy who 38 averaged like, minutes a game yeah, or whatever so it might be. You got to give him a lot of props. And, and now, like, he's gone and he's done. And obviously he mentioned it in a little, um, I guess you could say, an, an exit quote that, you know, it was it was nothing to the school, nothing against the school, nothing against the coaching staff. It was a personal decision. Uh Although he is done now with the university, you, you really just intrigued to see where this guy goes. And I guess it's the waiting game now. Um, university of Delaware and all the fans and everyone involved is is really curious to see where he goes because I am I am very curious to see what his next step is in uh, in his in his college career. Jeff Borsello of ESPN reported yesterday that Daly has heard from Temple, St. Joe's, Nevada, so a tournament team. St. Bonaventure, UMass, George Mason, and CSU Bakersfield. So far in his process, he, I believe, is listed as the third or fourth highest scorer of known available transfer athletes. Mm. So take that for what you will, uh, as far as who, who else is out there. Um, but he's one yeah. of the top one of the top targets for teams right. looking to add a transfer, and those are the teams so far that he's heard from. A lot of people putting the pieces the puzzle pieces together to think mm-hmm. that St. Joe's maybe mm-hmm. is a front runner because he has a family connection there. Right. Um, people in his family have gone to St. Joe's. He himself is from the Philadelphia air- area, yeah. having gone to Archbishop Carroll High School. Mm-hmm. That would also put Temple maybe close to the top of I the list. I was just going to say, yeah. But all kind of speculation at this point. But that was reported news from yeah. Borsello as far Borsello. Borsello. He's a former yeah. Blue Hen, by the way. I don't know if you knew oh, that. Oh, for ESPN. Oh, good for yeah. him. Um, but those are the teams that he's I was just going to say Temple and St. Joe's kind of a low-hanging fruit there because, again, you mentioned his Pennsylvania connection, his, uh, the Philadelphia area connection, so that might be one. And obviously Temple is it's the Atlantic 10. Is that what that is? Oh, I think so. Whatever no, the, I mean, that's what St. Joe's is definitely. Whatever I don't the, know if Temple's the conference is. Or maybe they're, I guess, is American only for football? American ten, the American it's something ten conference. Yeah. I don't, Anyways, it's Atlantic ten. It's getting. It's one step higher than the Colonial Athletic. I think it's fair to say. So he yeah. would upgrade on the conference and the level of play. All of these teams, with maybe the exception of CSU's Bakersfield, yeah. mm-hmm. would be a slight step up in competition level yeah. from Delaware. So that's one thing that uh, that hundred percent again. And I, I don't want. Well, I should say ninety nine percent. But one of the reasons has to be he wants to improve. I guess. Um, the competition, so that's one. Um, so I think he gets that from most of these people. Talking about St. Bonaventure and UMass, I think those are two teams that recruited him out of high school. So I don't know if maybe that's something that he would want to go back to. But again, St. Joe's and 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 Temple would be a interesting fit. And I didn't know that little stat about him being a third or you said top four. Yeah, I mean he's definitely in the top five. Yeah. That was also a couple of days ago, so I don't right. know if there are other players. Other who have players that come out. So said that um, for him to be at that level and and available, and then he'd have to sit out a year, correct? I I think that's how it works. It could be. Yeah, could if, be wrong. if he went to one of these schools at this level, yeah, he would then, have to sit. Yes, out. I yeah. believe he'd sit out. So interesting to see where he goes, but I will be looking forward to that because. Um, I think that'd be cool. Here's maybe an interesting question to kind of just think about. Not that it really applies to Delaware anymore since he's gone. Right. But with the off year that he'll be sitting out most likely, what are parts of his games or part of you know his package that you would maybe spend the most time on within that year improving? Where where does he need to change his game the most or where could he benefit from changing his game the most? That's a good question. I think – He's got a little bit of everything overall. I think maybe it might not be him specifically, but the style of team that he goes to, maybe one of the reasons that he switched, maybe he saw something better. So if they are playing up-tempo, maybe for him to, uh, I don't want to say get in better shape, the guy is is built built pretty wide. Like he's, 
He's he's a big guy that's listed at six five, probably closer to six four. So he's he's got a little little bit of everything. But again, if he's going to a school like Temple, um, maybe I guess outside perimeter shooting, we know how important that is. Uh, maybe if he's going to a school that likes to play a little slower, I'd love to see him maybe go uh, work better in the post. Maybe you know back to the basket type stuff. We know he he can get into the paint with ease, but um, can he operate out of there? Maybe kind of work to a three. Um, uh, three guard type position or a small forward so maybe him working on the whole plethora of one two and three uh, is also going to give him a better chance of maybe whatever he wants to do after college or whatever his uh, expectations are after the college basketball his college basketball career is over so maybe just a little bit of uh, I guess the post play the back to the basket um, whether it is stretching out the floor a little bit with the perimeter shooting because we know all the kids love to just pull up from 30 nowadays <laughs> so I'd like to see him do that but I would like to see him adapt to wherever school he's going because every school has they, they have their style of offense so maybe him stretching the floor a little bit getting a little versatile on one two and three because we've seen him play one two and three so I, I'd like to see him just be a problem like you know like LeBron he can just play any position I don't know about any position but I'd like to see him play one two and three with ease uh, but I, I think he may be he and a few other people may be the only ones that know what school he's going to so we can't speculate so as too much as to what. Uh, style he'll be playing. Other news in the CAA, Tremaine Isabel, the guard from Drexel Jr., uh, has declared for the NBA draft. So another name to keep an eye on if you're a CAA men's hoops fan. And if you're interested more in this topic, I would encourage you to check out our podcast titled Daily Departs, which is available under the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast heading on Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and Apple Podcast. This certainly won't be the last time we talk about Ryan Daly, but the news, nonetheless, very surprising for all of us here, and we'll keep an eye on the latest news and what we can get our pulse on as far as where he might be headed next and maybe what caused uh, this move that shocked Wuhan Nation uh, just about a week ago. Speaking of things that have shocked the nation, maybe a little bit wider than just Newark, Delaware, how about the NCAA Final Four and the teams we have left? This whole tournament has been rife with upsets left and right, and you can't get into that conversation without starting at Loyola Chicago, who takes down Kansas State last weekend, 78-62 in the Elite Eight, to make their first run to the Final Four. Not even close. They dominate this game against Kansas State. They're facing off against Michigan, who got by Florida State in the Elite Eight. Now Loyola versus Michigan for a spot in the NCAA championship game, Loyola coming out of that region that we thought coming into the tournament was probably the hardest of any, and they're the team left standing as the 11th seed. Absolutely, and the other three teams, I guess it doesn't come as a surprise. You got Michigan, Kansas, and Villanova, two one seeds in that. But Loyola Chicago, I mean, there's Cinderella stories, and, and this is one right here to get to the Final Four. I don't think we've seen anything like this maybe since VCU coming out of the Colonial Athletic. I don't know if to what magnitude exactly, but this is a really good quality team. And, and going against probably the team that they'd want to play the most, and not Villanova, not Kansas, but they're playing Michigan, a chance um, really at, at number three Michigan and, and to, to get into the championship game in San Antonio as they already are. So uh, very surprised, but once you get into the – and I said this on last week's show, you don't get into the Elite Eight by accident. So this team – really first two games you want to take out they have been legit since then and they're going to be legit against Michigan win or lose they got a good team a good plethora of guys and a guys that that can just really run the score up on you like like you said it wasn't these aren't some of these aren't one or two point wins like they've had but uh last game beat down this is a legitimate team and i i'm not going to pick them quite yet but <laughs> do not be surprised if they are in the championship game We'll have our picks later in the show. Loyola, a 12-point lead at half over Kansas State. They end up winning that one by 16, 78-62 to advance. Ben Richardson with 23 points and six boards to lead the way for the Ramblers. Although, really, who's leading the way for this team has been Sister Jean. I was going to say, the uh, game what Saturday. Do you, what, gotta... do you, what do you make of the Sister Jean story and how it's continued to unfold yeah, we've been kind of joking about it a lot, but the game's Saturday, so they'll have to attend service on Sunday if they win. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to kind of have that that I don't I, what's the word I could use here that, that icon 
or uh, you know how uh, Clemson has a rock they touch. Everybody's got that she's thing. The rock. You know what I mean? She's the rock. She's the banner they tap. She's on the, the way banner out they tap that the says grit room. or something. You know what I mean? So everybody has that one thing. And Sister Jean, right now, she's that one thing, and it's amazing to kind of have her part of this that ride and journey. And I think it's really cool to to get that going. And Loyola Chicago, honestly, honestly, a team that I haven't heard of until she really put them on the map. So yeah. Um, yeah, good for her. Good for all of them. I I really like this. I really like this whole story. And I think they were mentioning maybe a Sister Jean cam for the entire duration of the Michigan game. You know game how they have, have the that, uh, have it on her like game. the national championship football game. They'll have the different views on yeah. like ESPN two, ESPN <laughs> yeah. News. Is that going to be on, on True be. TV or whoever? Isn't carrying whatever, the championship Whatever game. Joel Olstein is on, whatever channel he's on, the C-SPAN <laughs> channel or something, maybe throw her on there. Um, but she will make plenty of appearances on your television screen, I'll tell you that much Saturday. Yeah, they'll they'll go to her probably after every major play yeah. at this point. And I think it's a story that 10 years ago would have been interesting mm-hmm. and would have still caught on in the broadcast, but probably with, with Twitter and Facebook, it's definitely oh, yeah. gotten way more steam than anything like this in the past. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, and maybe in the past, like people have had things. Maybe VCU had, you know, a, a a golden retriever or something, or like a a pet flamingo that was so lucky. And you know, you never know. I don't know. Or maybe they had like um, a little ten year old kid or something from uh, across the street. But yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But every this is with Twitter. It's it's obviously it's a great like topic and to like, touch on. On it, it's it's, great. it's a very popular thing mm-hmm. to jump onto if you're a younger reporter type or blogger type to yeah. jump onto and be mm-hmm. the Loyola fan club for the yeah. week. It's it's really easy for like I don't know how yeah. to describe it, but it's kind of that not necessarily what Barstool mm-hmm. does, but it's that kind of thing right. where like everything is just kind of a joke. Right. Kind of, but you're also kind of serious. I mean I imagine if it. they win this and the thirty for thirty on it. See that would be amazing. My thing with with that thing with that whole is like the 30 for 30 idea is to tell a story that has not gotten the light that it deserves Maybe. Oh, that's to a tell like a like a story that has been lost in the fray i think at some point they like, did okay, expand out Netflix into bigger original story. maybe yeah because <laughs> okay. cause like yeah yes they did end up covering like michael jordan that sort of thing but when it starts it's like marcus dupree like the guy that you've never right. really heard about but it's a remarkable story yeah. or len bias like the like number one NBA, draft pick that never happened yeah like nba fans knew who he yeah. was and his mm-hmm. story but the masses didn't know who len bias was until right. that 30 for 30 mm-hmm. or at least they didn't know as much about him um but but regardless getting off track here <laughs> um loyola versus michigan now we have this matchup after loyola continues to make this run uh, a couple weeks ago we said here on the show no matter who wins this, UMBC would be the remembered team from this. Safe to say, before we get into the particulars of this matchup, that Loyola is now the team that you'll remember from this Absolutely. tournament, regardless of what happens this weekend. Absolutely, yeah. And and for UMBC to do what they did, obviously, was great to beat down the number one overall team in the tournament. Um, and, and you got to give credit to Harvard, too. The Harvard women's basketball team were, were the first to ever one uh, 16 seed to be a, a one seed, which people don't know very much. So something of that magnitude has been done before, but UMBC quickly being overshadowed, obviously, by Loyola Chicago. In a game, I think they have a chance of winning. So what do you think about this matchup? Not asking you for a pick, but what's right. what's kind of the interesting thing for you to watch as these two teams line up to face each other? I mean, Michigan can really shoot the ball, so I want to see how Loyola is defensively. Because obviously they got guys that just come out of the blue and just make big buckets. But how can they defend down the stretch? We've seen um, them score high. We've seen them score low. So let's see if their defense is real. Because obviously there's we've talked a lot about luck and Cinderella story and and you know ball bouncing this way and that way and getting a call here. But defense never lies. Defense wins championships. So if they if they are really legitimate, let's see it against a good offensive Michigan team. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with the Med Quadri. I'm Brandon Halbeck. Talking NCAA Final Four, maybe the most consistent team throughout this entire tournament has been the number one seeded Villanova Wildcats. They come away with a 12-point win over Texas Tech last weekend. They've pretty much been comfortable all throughout their bracket, which wasn't the most challenging, but 
you know, they're still here in the Final Four. They face off this weekend against Kansas, who took down Duke in overtime. Maybe the best game of the Elite Eight sends the Blue Devils home and the Jayhawks move on. Two very talented teams, two number one seeds meeting on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, I'm excited for this game. Kansas obviously has players that will be in an NBA jersey next year, I believe, at least two. Um, and then and maybe Villanova too, maybe. And Villanova too. And Villanova, I think, overall is the better team. I think like one through six, uh, I'll include like a bench player. I think they have a better starting five that they can put on the floor. Um, and what's the what's the guard's name for Villanova? Um, that guy's just so good. He's he, he's really the heart and soul of this Villanova team. And I think they have great role players overall. I think they're a versatile Brunson? team. Brunson, Jalen Brunson is is a problem, and he is he is, in my opinion, the best one of the best point guards um, in college basketball, in Division One college basketball right now. So Jalen Brunson, obviously a great player, and he's the heart and soul. He's the engine that makes this team go. But overall, one through six, I think this team can put out a better five than Kansas can. That's why I'm a little high on the Villanova Wildcats. I really like them. And how about the defense from Villanova? The highest yeah. point total they've given up this tournament is 78 to West Virginia in the Sweet 16. They give up 58 to Colin Sexton and Alabama, who was on a roll heading into the tournament. And then they obviously dominate Radford in the 116 game, giving up 61 in that one to Radford, just 59 to Texas Tech. They're rolling right now. Absolutely. And again, we'll see because Kansas and as a bookie, he's got he's a great rim protector. And <laughs> yeah, he's a he, big dude. He's a problem in his own right. Um, so we'll see how Villanova responds, but a quality matchup. You couldn't ask for a better matchup in, in Kansas beating uh, Duke in an overtime game. What a thriller that one was as well as Grayson Allen's uh, shot rims out like six times. But Villanova, Kansas, two number one seeds. I mean, you've got to think this is also going to go down to a final bucket or a last-second shot here. So quality matchup here again. And again, you got Bill Self against... Um, I'm drawing a blank here. What's Jay Wright. Jay Wright. Jay Wright. Yeah. To my Philly guy, Jay Wright. So um, overall, you couldn't ask for better coaching or a better basketball matchup in a Final Four. You'd love to kind of see this maybe be a championship game, but just the way the brackets run out, this is going to be one of one Final Four game to remember. For Kansas, Malik Newman puts up 32 in that one for the mm-hmm. Jayhawks. You also have Devontae Graham to keep an eye on, and you mentioned Azubuki, who... From the offensive standpoint, it's not their number one guy, but he's a big dude inside. Yeah. Uh, and he did a number with Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley in the game against Duke. Maybe to put a bow on the Blue Devils season, who had the highest chance, according to 538 and ESPN projections, heading into the tournament to advance out of their region, of the teams in their region. They had the highest chance to make it to the Final Four. What is this Duke's team's, I don't know what I'm going to say, legacy, but kind of how will they be remembered slash are you disappointed in the way that their season finished with Allen, you know, kind of faltering down the stretch despite how much talent they have on this team, possibly three, maybe four draftees, maybe even all in the first round? Yeah, I mean, I think it was obviously fitting that that Grayson Allen missed that shot. Not that I root for a guy like that or anyone in that matter to miss a shot like that, but four-year guy um I also yeah I have him maybe first late first round second round maybe like top 35 top 40 uh he'll definitely go in the NBA draft uh but the turnaround for this team obviously you you can't stick around with Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley too much of what could have been and um should have they have beat Kansas I personally think they should have I think the execution uh down in the fourth quarter and or not in the fourth quarter but the second half and the overtime was poor but Again, Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley will be missed, but they will be replaced. I mean, they got three guys coming in here who I believe are one, two, and three, um, and, and highlighted by uh, Barrett and I'm drawing a blank. What's his name? Number one, number one guy, Zion Williams. Zion Williams. How did I forget his name? I thought you were going deeper in the list. No, 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 or no, else no, no, I would have no. said Zion Williams. I forgot. His I thought name. you. I mean, you had a better grasp on this than I me. I was literally watching the, the McDonald's All American game. I can't for, believe I forgot his name. But Zion Williams, and yeah. So again, you, you can't really hang on to Carter and and Bagley that much. Um, 
they I think they're projected to go Bagley's projected to go number three. Uh, Carter's projected to go number six. Obviously, people have them in different places, but they will both 100% be gone in the top 10. So, again, Coach K, a guy who guy who was formerly known for really um, recruiting players and growing players and building players, has been on that one-and-done train for a little bit now, and he's got maybe a fresh 3-4 leaving and a fresh 3-4 coming. Um, so I don't really feel bad for this Duke team. I think they'll be back in this position right out of next year. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Hashtag trust the process. The Sixers on a... What is it, eight-game, nine-game winning streak at this point? They beat the Knicks last night 118-105, I believe. I think that makes it nine. It's a season-long winning streak. It is a season-long winning streak. longest since 2002 and 2003. Yeah. Back in the Allen Iverson era. But last night, a little bit of alarming news. Joel Embiid collides with Markel Fultz. Mm -hmm. Hurts his face. He's got a facial contusion. Uh, was released from the hospital earlier today. The first report was that he does not have a concussion. He went through the concussion protocol last night. So that should be good news for Sixers fans, but that is a story to follow, and perhaps the approach will be to sit and be the rest of the way. But with that being said, the Sixers still came out with a big win last night, albeit against a tanking team. But Dario Saric comes up in a big way. Ben Simmons does his thing, another double-double for him. The biggest story, however, is the return of Markel Fultz yeah. playing last night in his second game. Surprised the whole NBA world playing in his first game back just three nights ago. Out of nowhere entirely. Mm-hmm. A reporter was asking Brett Brown a question about his recovery process, which probably happens every press conference with the Sixers and Brett Brown. And Brown says, I need to tell you guys something about Markel Fultz. He's playing tonight. And immediately, and that's when you hear those they, cameras they, click, 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 yeah, click. <laughs> things just take off. Reporters immediately tweeting with a yeah. picture of Brett Brown. Marco Fultz is playing, and he had a pretty strong opening night. Five of thirteen from the floor. Uh, Fourteen minutes of action. He's racking up the assist, and I think he's giving them a little bit of spark off the bench. What have you seen from Fultz so far, and do you like what he's bringing the Sixers? Look, absolutely. I mean. Let's not forget, Brandon, and I know you haven't forgotten, but 2017 first-round pick, number one overall. This guy is was number one overall for a reason, okay? So he's good. Let's Whatever's happened to his shot, whatever's happened to his shoulder— He's he's good. He was good as far as as far as we know. He was good, and he's he's worth that obviously draft pick. So him coming back, obviously, there's a lot of excitement. The tone kind of changes for the team, which is kind of difficult to grasp because this team has already been doing well. Now they're a half game behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. Things looking up in all sorts of ways for the three seed. We should say for the three seed. Yeah, yeah. to clarify. So Sorry. they're in the fourth spot right now in the Eastern for Conference, the, in the fourth which spot, is yeah. the highest they've been all season. Correct, and I think just. The way they're playing, I think Markel Fultz, I don't think can hurt your team. I think Brown obviously doing a good job of he wants to keep the minutes between anywhere from 10 to 18 at the max. We'll see what happens moving into the playoffs. But I think how Brett Brown is going about this and kind of also Markel Fultz dealing with problems of his own and obviously going through an injury and rehab process is obviously very strenuous. There was reports that he was dealing with anxiety. So for him to just come out and just say, yeah, oh, he'll be starting tonight, um, I think really kind of eased Markel Fultz into him him personally because at the end of the day, um, I know we're always selfish of what's going to happen and, and is he playing, is he, is he going to be good or not, but I think Markel Fultz is the only person that matters in that sense, and I think he came out, had two good games. What did he have, like 15 assists in, in 28 total minutes? That's pretty good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not that many guys do that. That's yeah. one game for most people. So I think he's come out. I think he's been okay. He he looks fine, and let's see what happens. He's got a perfect amount of games heading into the playoffs. He'll probably play the rest of the eight games, and we'll see what happens. I like this. I would recommend checking out the story by Kyle Newbeck from the Philly Voice about this whole drama that's been unfolding over the course of the season, which yeah. is kind of hard to put into a quick set of words. Him but, not talking as well, something yeah, to talk about, bas- I'm sure. Basically, he either, it's still unclear, either lost confidence in his shot and or hurt his shoulder 
and the order of those events is still unclear when exactly this shoulder injury occurred and then that affecting his shot or his shot being changed and then that affecting his shoulder or vice versa. It's really tough to tell, but he's been dealing, or at least they said he's been dealing with shoulder problem that has in some way affected his shot. His shot was not the same over the course of the winter when they were showing clips of him at shoot-around. But with that being said, it seems like he's now kind of worked himself back into shape. The shot, he hasn't really tested it from deep, but he has had a few kind of elbow range pull-up jumpers, and he's knocked a few of them down. He's been very aggressive off the bounce, attacking big guys. And I think so far, so good. He's been a plus, a net plus, every time that he steps on the floor off the bench. So he's really given the bench unit a spark that they don't necessarily have. They have, I think, good shooters and good complementary players coming off their bench right now with Marco Bellinelli. Irsan Eliasova's been playing pretty well, You know, even TJ McConnell. But Fultz is a guy who gives you a focal point for that bench unit that they haven't had. And in the short term, I think that's a good boost. But to the people who might be saying... Is this going to affect the chemistry? Is this going to affect the team? Why not sit him out the entire season? I would say you have to take the long-term approach in that if he's worked this hard to get back to where he is now, you have to give him the opportunity to test himself, and you can't let he's him He's already keep... played a few games. It's not like you can maybe for rookie obligations or maybe his personal branding. He can't win rookie of the year. I mean, he already played a few games. Not even that, but yeah. just like where he's at mentally if he thinks he's ready to come back and play you let can't play, yeah. you can't have him wait over the course of the whole summer and let that anxiety build up in him and yeah. have him become even more of a mental case you let him play now get experience now because yes the Sixers have a chance this year in the playoffs as the four seed maybe the three seed maybe the five seed we'll see but as one of the top seeds in the east they have a chance this year but their best days are still down the road. And you want Markel Fultz to start his development now into the mm-hmm. superstar that you still think he can be. So while this year is important and it'll be exciting for Philadelphia fans, it's really only the start for what this core can do because they have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Dario Saric for the foreseeable future. And that's a core that not many other teams in the Eastern Conference can even come close to matching. Now let me ask you this. Obviously, they're going to make the playoffs. They're they're, they're clinched, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Um, and then they're obviously going to do work in the playoffs. I don't. People are saying they're, they'll leave the first round. Let's just let's just look at the first seven game series. Do you still have him coming off the bench? I guess leading or being part of that second unit. Yeah, yeah. I play him the same type of rotation that they've been playing the last okay. couple games. It's been clear that they don't have enough confidence in his shot to play him alongside Ben Simmons. They don't want both of those guys on the floor at the same time because you can't have two non-shooters in your backcourt right. mm-hmm. in the modern NBA. So I would keep him in his same role as the substitute for Ben Simmons on the second unit, playing alongside shooters, whether that be Bellinelli and Covington, Covington and Redick, Redick and Bellinelli, some combination of those three guys on the wings with the bench front court, and let him be the focal point for... 10 to 15 minutes yeah. in like beginning of the second quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. Obviously, you never want to see anyone get hurt, but I think this has been a real blessing because you see how Embiid and Simmons, and we'll, we can throw Saric in there, those three bigs have, how far have, they have gotten you basically alone. Yeah, by them I mean, two, they, they've them won three. 40 yeah. games without the number one overall pick on Exactly, this team. so... I don't want to say that Markel would have stunted that growth, but to have those two guys do it by themselves, they have become men, uh, essentially both in their rookie season. I know uh, Joel has 31 games in the previous season, but it, essentially what you could say is either rookie, sophomore season, uh, inexperienced really for both players. I think they have really grown without Markel Fultz, and I think Fultz can come in seamless transition. I like him on that second unit. I like him playing. You, you playing him in the to your question, would you play yeah. him in the playoffs too? I would play him in the playoffs less than 18 minutes because, again, I, I like him. Um, I like Justin Anderson. I like what he brings also to the table. I like TJ McConnell and his aggressive defensive uh, nature that he brings also to that second, maybe third unit. But, yeah, maybe play him 10 to 15 minutes in the playoffs. Yep. And I don't see why the 76ers can't get a first-round win here. And to your point with the way that Embiid and Simmons have developed – it's one of, if not the best core long-term yeah. in the NBA. Oh, yeah. I mean, Joel Embiid, 
is the frontrunner for Defensive Player of the Year. His impact inside was very noticeable last night when he left. You see Enos Cantor and Michael Beasley putting up layups over the other guys that they would not even be close to the rim if Joel Embiid was there. They wouldn't challenge him. He's been excellent defensively. He's the team's leading scorer offensively. Front runner probably for first team All Pro center because of Demarcus Cousins' injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's already in the conversation. Well, as Carl one Anthony of the Towns top. might have something to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I guess he's probably yeah. still listed as a four, as is Anthony Davis. Right, and those right, guys are yeah. maybe above Embiid mm-hmm. in the pecking order. But Joel Embiid is a top fifteen, top twenty. I mean, at least top twenty, top fifteen, maybe even top ten player in the league. Yes, and then Ben absolutely. Simmons is almost unguardable mm-hmm. when he's driving to the basket. The sh- jump shot is still a question mark with him, mm-hmm. and everybody will kind of keep saying his potential isn't fully developed until he develops a jump shot, and that's certainly true. But you have two of the best 15, 20 players in the league now and yeah. guys who, like you said, are only in the very, very early stages of their I, career I that could get even better. I don't even think a guy like Sarge gets enough credit. Dario He's Saric, been great. He was great last night. I mean, night. he went 26 and 14 last night with eight, uh, like eight rebounds I believe, or eight assists or six assists or something like that. Yeah. I mean, come on. This guy's just uh, – he doesn't get the love that he deserves, and I think Philadelphia fans appreciate him. He's just been a spark plug. Absolutely. And if you're not a Sixers fan, you're probably asking us yeah. to stop gushing over this team. But, I mean, they've been on a roll. and They have been. And this is the perfect time of the year for a team to peak. It's a – Exciting to see what they're going to bring in the playoffs, especially if they get a home series. You'd love to see what a Game 7 at Wells Fargo Center looks and sounds oh, like because it, it would have to be electric. And I think if um, if I'm Brett Brown, I, I'd pick up the phone, call up an old player maybe for next year. Hey, Kawhi, what you doing? What do you, what, what's up? What's going on, man? What do you think? What do you want to do? I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. I was joking last night that this Fultz coming back and kind of the league rediscovering his potential and thinking about you know what he was as a college player and what he could still now be in the NBA getting past his injuries. It rebuilds his, it rebuilds his value if you want to dangle him in a trade right. for a certain Kawhi Leonard mm-hmm. this summer. Uh, I don't know if, how realistic that is, but there's also the question of LeBron James. Where does he sign this summer? Is Kawhi Leonard a trade candidate? Could he get traded to Philadelphia and then take this franchise to yet another level? But there, I think they're already jumping strata from that borderline playoff team, not quite to Toronto, Houston, Golden State territory, mm-hmm. but but they're in the next I mean, strata a- from low playoff team to legitimate playoff contender as far as, like, can they get to the conference finals? It's reasonable to think that they could get to the conference finals. This is a top six team in the NBA, in my opinion. I think this wow. is a top six team. That's so a statement. I, if you said seven, I wouldn't argue you too much. But to say I mean, this team is anywhere think, out of the Golden State, Houston, absolute like no brainers. Toronto and Celtics healthy, but they're not they're not healthy, right? Um, but assuming they meet in the second, third round, Kyrie's playing. So, Smart would be playing. So Toronto, Boston, I'm still putting Cleveland above them. Sure, um, Houston, Golden State, and then you get and to the teams in the Portland, West. Portland, if you want, but. Portland. Once that team starts getting to four or five, or the West starts getting to four or five, and we'll talk about the West later, but I, I just, I mean, Portland at three, maybe, yeah. And then obviously you got the backcourt of. of uh, it's also tough to tell because the Sixers in this winning streak have been playing pretty right. bad teams. Pretty bad teams. And they will continue um, to play pretty bad teams. They, but... I mean, they took it to um, Minnesota and then to Denver. Right. Denver's mm-hmm. like a fringe playoff team. They probably won't make it. Minnesota will, mm-hmm. but they're struggling right now. Um, and then, I mean, are, are the Sixers better than Oklahoma City? I think so. They're close. I think so. They're comparable teams, right? They weren't as good when they've played them twice earlier this year. Uh, but both team, both games, they gave them problems. And I think, and now looking at it now, I think they're they're a good team. I, I, again, for me, hashtag change my mind. Sixers are a top <laughs> six team in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, yeah. I th- and I, I think mean, people I have still been like, saying like. You know, if they if they did, not that they'd really ever play a Utah or Minnesota in a seven game series right. this playoffs, but like I think Utah's trending upward. That's not mm-hmm. an easy series for the Sixers to like. Utah's taking two or three games from the Sixers. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, San Antonio, you have to respect what 
what they have, but obviously still no Kawhi. Mm-hmm. If New Orleans was healthy, Boogie and AD would yeah. be better than the Sixers right now. But but they're all not, and they're all teams that are huddling in that 42-43 win category, and the Sixers are right there, 44 wins as the fourth team in the East. Uh, so lots to be excited about if you're a Sixers fan with this win streak. There's something oddly and weirdly interesting about Joel Embiid coming back in a mask. Something intriguing about that. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Question for me on the Sixers before we move into the Western Conference yeah. and the NBA. What, who do they play? I just who do they play next? Atlanta. The Hawks. Correct. Oh, they got plenty of time to prepare for that. <laughs> they got plenty, <laughs> they got plenty of time to prepare for that. <laughs> that was what, uh, Ben Simmons to Carl Anthony Towns as they were playing a uh, video games. Um, that was asking funny. him to I play one that. more, asking him to play one more game, pleading his case to stay on for a little bit, and he says no, he has to go. And he said, "Who do you play tomorrow night, or who do you play tomorrow?" Simmons said, said to Towns, Carl Anthony Towns. Simmons said, "Who do you play tomorrow?" Towns said, "The the Atlanta Hawks." And he said, "Oh, you got plenty of time." Simmons said, "You got plenty of times." <laughs> and uh, little did he know, Carl Anthony Towns had the game of his life with fifty six yeah, points. He blew up. I saw numbers this morning comparing. Carl Anthony Towns this season in a year where he's not really even talked about as a first or second team All NBA, not talked about as an MVP candidate. Yeah, comparing his numbers to what Steve Nash put up in his first year winning the MVP, yeah. and they were almost identical numbers from three from the floor points, almost the same thing. Effective field goal percentage. He's having a, a quietly excellent season. I think because the Timberwolves fell off a little bit. Um, just fighting, just injury. fighting for that, uh, fighting for a playoff spot, and kind of trying to stay afloat for that eight seed. I think that's really kind of what puts it into that non-conversation, as you could say. If this is a three or four seed. I think he's in there right now. The Timberwolves are seventh in the West. They've been as high as three for mm-hmm. stretches of this season. The Butler injury obviously affected their playoff seeding, but the other major concern with this team is how much all of these stars play, and that's possibly a factor that's catching up with this team. Tom Thibodeau is an old-school coach by nature. He plays his starters all out throughout the regular season, which has increasingly become a less-used strategy, though it sounds funny. It's such a long NBA season that the best teams kind of pace their players through the season, and they have an extra gear to go to in the playoffs. Think about what Cleveland does year after year with LeBron, where they flipped the switch, or even Golden State last year, and possibly this year as a team that's faltering into the finish, but still has superstar championship potential and aspirations. The Timberwolves are the opposite of that. They play their guys full throttle throughout the entire season. It's led to injuries with both Chicago, back when Thibodeau was there, think about Joakim Noah, Derek Rose, and it's almost repeating itself here in Minnesota, with a equally as talented, if not more talented squad, they're running into that same wall here as the season comes to a close. Absolutely, and you got to give also credit to the Clippers and the Nuggets too for, for trying to hang in there at nine and ten. Doubt they will get in. I like the top eight that we have in the West. Put, yeah, uh, right yeah. now you got Timberwolves at seven, forty three, thirty forty three, and thirty three. Jazz at eight, forty two, and thirty three. Then the Clippers, a game behind the Jazz, and the Nuggets, two games behind the Jazz. Uh, yeah, I like that to stay okay. really yeah. put. And uh, Jazz are playing well. Uh, of course, the four through eight might change up as far as seeding is concerned. I wouldn't be surprised about yeah. that. Just four games separate the yeah. three seed from the eight seed. Sure. So I, I wouldn't be surprised about that. So moving in, I think it'll be great. But the Timberwolves at 100% healthy is a scary team. And uh, again, Tom Thibodeau. A great defensive coach in in a league that's always not so defensive anymore. But I think at a healthy, this team could give a lot of problems. They're kind of, for me, very equivalent to the Thunder. Um, I was just thinking. I was, they're very similar. That's I why gonna, I really wanted to see a 4-5 matchup in the first round to kind of fun. see who's the real deal here. But it, it's You'd have a, team a lot of stars. It's like, the thund- it's like a Thunder-type team, and a 4-5 would just seems appropriate. It almost seems right. You don't want to see two of these teams like advance to the first, second round, I should say. I was going to ask you when you said the Timberwolves fully healthier team that could give you some problems. I mm-hmm. think that's a great way to describe them. And I was going to ask, are the Thunder another one of those teams 
that, you know, they're not looked at as a contender, but they could give it to contender problems and at least push somebody in a seven-game series. Absolutely. I, I do not see them as a contender at all. I don't okay. I don't even see them. I think to say they're not a top t- 10 team in the NBA is a little rough. But, uh, again, I just they, they're not up there for me. They've definitely declined in the power rankings. But you're talking about – t- and this is the same sentence, Brandon – Playoffs, Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, it just it just goes together. Um and, and it's hard for me to say that this team will get like swept or I mean Russell Westbrook alone uh, put up a, a decent fight in the first round. Uh, obviously it was only five games, but he the numbers he put up, I think with the help of Paul George and maybe if if Carmelo Anthony can become somewhat of a role player or, or find his way in in crunch time or in the in the late uh, activities of games, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they won a first-round matchup. It's pretty crazy to think Russell Westbrook right now is averaging 25 points a game, 10.2 assists per game, and 9.7 rebounds per game. He's point don't really talk three about rebounds per game away from averaging a triple-double, mm-hmm. and it seems like he's barely been talked about yeah. in the national landscape. Are we getting, I guess the question is, like, used to it? I think these... These triple doubles are just so common, and we're getting used to uh, the performance some of these athletes are putting. I don't think we should really underestimate or not give enough credit to Russell Westbrook uh, to what he's doing because, again, you could say, oh, this guy is doing this on a crap team, but Russell Westbrook has stars all around him, and he's he's still putting up numbers. I think that's difficult to do, and I don't think he's – I think there are problems with the Thunder, I'll put it this way, but it's not Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I think the team really hurt when they lost Andre Roberson mm-hmm. from a defensive standpoint. He's not a guy who's putting up buckets. He's not a great shooter, but he's their best perimeter defender. Well, Paul George is probably their best, but he's their second best perimeter defender. They're, they're a guy that they can solely put him out there for the purpose of playing defense. They lost that, and they haven't been able to replace it since. Melo has not been great, to put it nicely. I mean, this is really this is really come, just hasn't found his role. This has really come down to Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and you know Westbrook's still been great, but even last year when he was pouring it on, even beyond what he's done now, it still wasn't enough to compete with the likes of Golden State and San Antonio, who was a leg up from where they are. Could you imagine Paul George with Oladipo in Indiana back like back in Indiana? That'd be a good team. It would be. <laughs> oh, I mean, Oladipo, clear-cut, most improved player in the league. Absolutely, yeah. Hands He's out. been great. Uh, last question for you in the West. This is going to be discussed until we get to this matchup, likely in the Western Conference Finals. But my question to you is simply Houston versus Golden State with the Warriors injuries the real at the finals. moment right now. Yeah. What are your thoughts? What What would you expect to see in that series you know, a couple months down the line if they meet in the Western Conference Finals? I think health is very important. I think Houston has had their own fair share of injuries. Obviously, you know the stat, Brandon, when Capella and uh, Chris Paul and Harden play together, they're virtually uh, almost undefeated. They have just two losses. Yeah, two losses. They have two losses. 30-plus wins. Yeah, it's like 50-2 and or something like that, which is— Not quite that. I think it's like— Really? Maybe 40-something. It's like like in the 40s then. Okay. But two losses, I know that much. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. It's over 90% winning percentage. (laughs) Which is great, and that's amazing. But the health, obviously, of the Warriors is the real concern here. Uh, uh, Kevin Durant will be back, obviously. He had a hand injury. Uh, But Steph Curry, I mean, for those of you guys who kind of just started watching, I'm not trying to call you out for these Warriors bandwagon fans, but this guy has a history back from his rookie sophomore days in the league of of ankle injuries and lower body injuries. So if this guy can be healthy, obviously they'll be fine. He always comes back strong from injuries, but... Um, he's a little shaky. He's a little shaky right now. He's got the the ankles is still not at a hundred percent, and the knee obviously is going to make him what Steve Kerr says to be miss the first round of the NBA playoffs. They might not need him, but let's see what happens. But at one hundred percent, the Warriors I still think are a little bit better than the Rockets. But will the uh, will the Warriors be one hundred percent for that matchup? Maybe not. That's why I think it's really fifty fifty down the middle. Would not be surprised with Harden having an MVP season if the Rockets uh, get the better of that West Finals matchup. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. (laughs) We'll get into the Final Four right now. We talked about the team's path to this point earlier on the show, but now we'll make our picks. We'll make it official. 
Um, safe to say, our both of our brackets are blowing up. You don't want to hear about that by <laughs> now. Um, so we'll reset and make our fresh picks here. Loyola versus Michigan, Kansas versus Villanova. Both games Saturday night, 6.09 p.m. for Loyola, Michigan, and 8.49 p.m. for Kansas, Villanova. Those Are games... we picking championship hypotheticals too? Because we'll miss that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to pick these games that will be on TBS. We'll pick the Final Four, and then we should have got Teddy and Jake to send in their picks. Oh, well. Um, and then we'll pick the championship based on our picks for the Final Four. So starting off with Loyola versus Michigan, without any further ado, that's the 6.09 matchup on TBS on the 31st Saturday. Your pick, Ahmed, and why? I love, absolutely love the Cinderella story and the run going on with Loyola Chicago, but I think Michigan is going to pull this one out. I, th- I just think they're overall a better team, a team that really hasn't needed much luck to get here. I think they've earned their spot 110%. Uh, sorry, Sister Jean. Got Michigan. I agree with you. I'm going with the Wolverines. They've been hot ever since their conference tournament. Having these week-long layoffs has not slowed this team down at all. Dating back to their conference tournament, which was a week before the NCAA tournament opened, they're a strong team. They're very versatile. A lot of guys can reach double figures offensively for them. I think the the expectations and the pressure is going to continue to amount for Loyola, and it's just going to make it harder and harder. Each I know it's kind of a crutch argument, but I do believe each week you advance in the tournament to the next weekend, there's just that much more weight and focus on you as a school. It's a good and, point. And this school has been focused on more than any other team in the in the tournament, um, especially out of any of these other three teams, which are pretty standard. You're expected, especially if you're Kansas or Villanova, to be at, at this point in the tournament, or at least to be like a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team. Loyola was not, and because of that, they have a lot of attention, a lot of focus on them. It's a lot of pressure, a lot on their shoulders, and they're coming up against a really good Michigan team, so I think the magic's going to wear out in this one. 8.49 p.m., TBS, Kansas versus Villanova. 65 wins between these two teams. Villanova, the second number one, if you will, behind Virginia. Kansas also right there as a number one seed. Amen. who do you like and why? I like Villanova in this one. I think overall they're just a better team from head to toe. I think this is going to be a good matchup. I saw a couple of things I didn't really like in the Kansas-Duke game. I don't know if they're quite there yet. I like Villanova uh, going to the championship game once again after a one-year break, really. Yeah, I'm going to pick the Wildcats as well. Out of the Final Four teams, they were the only one that I had picked to go to the Final Four in my original bracket. I'll stick with them. Another deep team, Jalen Brunson, 19 points a game. You mentioned him earlier, Ahmed. Definitely the spark of this team, but they're, they got other options too with Bridges and a few other names. A very deep team. Kansas is good too. I think this is going to be a close down-to-the-wire game. Um, classic mono-e-mono, blue blood, if you will, against another powerful team uh, in the NCAA. It should be a treat. That's the later game at 8.49. So then we get to the championship game, which is Monday. The time's still to be announced, but it'll be on TBS Monday evening, April 2nd. And Ahmed, you and I will both have Michigan versus Villanova in that championship. What a matchup that should be. And again, two very experienced teams and two very storied programs. I really like this one. But Brandon, let's keep the Philadelphia wave going Villanova, <laughs> I got them winning. They got a guy from Delaware in there. I, I like this story. Let's, I'm not going to repeat it. I think you did a good job saying his name, so I won't mess <laughs> it up. Villanova, I got Jay Wright and company winning it all. I'm going with them, too. I'm going to go with got Villanova to, yeah. over Michigan. Again, I think it's going to be a great game, but Villanova is the deeper team from top to bottom. Yep. The defense has been great in the tournament, and I think they're going to keep rolling on this weekend. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. It, it, it's weird to not be talking about the Philadelphia 76ers in this next conversation. It's weird to not be talking about the Philadelphia 76ers amongst the teams angling for the top spots in the NBA draft this been summer. A few years. But been they a, won't be. Been a few years. I think 2012. Right now, if we go reverse NBA standings, the Phoenix Suns are winning, if you will, the battle of the tanking teams, 19-57. and 57. They have 25% odds of the number one overall pick, as this is the last year under the current lottery structure. Next year, the top three teams will all have the same odds at the top pick. This year, the top team, 
twenty five percent right now. 25%. But next year it'll be down to like seventeen or eighteen percent, I believe. Mm-hmm. So the Suns right now number one, Atlanta and Memphis tied at two. Both teams twenty one and fifty four. Then you get into Orlando, Dallas, Sacramento, and then the Nets who don't own their pick. That's Boston's pick for the last year, so they don't really have an incentive to tank. They're just not very good. And then Chicago, New York, the Lakers, Charlotte, and Detroit. And then you get into the teams still vying for playoff spots. But those teams now and those fan bases have certainly shifted their attention over to who might be coming in for help. And we've seen, even with the Philadelphia 76ers, or take your pick of other teams, that if you land one of these top talents, it can change your franchise. Maybe it doesn't make you a playoff contender right away, but it certainly changes the landscape of your team. Think about where Utah was. Months ago, losing Gordon Hayward, Rudy Gobert's health in question. They lose George Hill to free agency as well. They get Joe Ingles back. Rodney Hood is faltering at the beginning of the season, and their first-round pick, Donovan Mitchell, hits, and he's probably going to be second in the Rookie of the Year voting to Ben Simmons, which is, which is fine, but he's had an excellent season, and he's made them into a playoff contender. That's what some of these teams are hoping to get at the top of this year's NBA draft. So as we take a look at the prospects, Ahmed, who stands out to you as the guy to get, either from the collegiate ranks or from the international ranks? Um, yeah, the number one guy I still believe in most boards is DeAndre Ayton, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And obviously not that you know LeBron or Ben Simmons type or even Markel Fultz, but I mean this guy is a grown man. I don't know how old he is, but he is nineteen. He is he is built like a house. Okay, this guy seven it, foot zero, two hundred sixty pounds. Yeah. So I mean, and again, don't let that fool you. This guy can play three four and probably guard three four five. So I'm really high on this DeAndre Ayton kid. Obviously, in the midst of all that NCAA pay for play allegations and whatnot, but he is a one and done. If you've ever seen a one and done, and this guy will be in an NBA jersey, and I think. The idea of him alongside Devin Booker in a Suns uniform, very exciting. I like that. Very exciting. You'd have Booker, Josh Jackson last year's number four overall yeah. pick, and Aiton as your little core there. Yeah, and, and that's maybe a it gives, small— It gives Booker yeah. kind of like a an actual compliment, somebody else who can score the rock, but mm-hmm. in a different way than what he offers the team. Josh Jackson, obviously, still raw, still has a lot to do. I don't even know if I put him in my core, but— Okay. I th- he'll obviously be third in that whole mix of uh, young guys. Yeah. But yeah, one and two with Aiton and and Booker. I'll put Booker at one and Aiton at two. Really, as far as that team or whose team it is, if you want to get into it, exciting, exciting. If you're the Suns, I have Sports Illustrated's big board up right now. They have Aiton at one. At number two, they have Luka Doncic from Real, right? Yep, from yeah. Real Madrid. The 19 yep. year old point guard, six eight, two hundred twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. Everybody in NBA circles has been talking about this guy for years, but if you're not super in tune with the draft prospects and the draft hype, just go type Luka Doncic into YouTube, and you got to check out his highlights. He's a he's human highlight reel. He's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yet to be seen how that translates to the NBA, obviously. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you saw some of the same characteristics in Milos Teodosic, who yeah. came over. Ricky Rubio from um, Barcelona. Right. We saw it. And Teodosic and Rubio are good NBA players, yep. but they're not superstars. Mm-hmm. But that being said, neither of those guys are 6'8", 220. Yeah. And that's what Doncic brings you he's, with some shooting I ability. think he's a two, right? He's listed, or he, he can play two and three. Yeah, and you could even put him as a Ben Simmons type if you wanted him yeah. to be your he primary ball. He can handle ball. the rock. He can be your primary ball handle handler if you wanted him to. Yeah, I think... I don't he, know if you give it to him as a first-year player, but right. it, maybe if you have another combo guard there, you split ball handling duties or something like that. Yeah, I mean... I haven't been following, obviously, international, but what I've heard, I guess the only downside is is that we've kind of seen his ceiling. His ceiling isn't as high as some of these other guys. With that being said, yeah. he is a 110% for sure fire top three pick. I think he has to go one, two, or three. I mean, he is a human highlight reel. And to a team that I guess, I don't want to use the word afford, it kind of diminishes your value, but... A team that doesn't really need, like the Phoenix Suns don't really need that. They have uh, Devin Booker. Booker. So maybe a guy, maybe a team like like the Brooklyn Nets, obviously they're, they're going to give their pick away, but a team like that could have used it because they don't really need... Atlanta could use a Atlanta guy could use who, could, it. who just 
is they just high need a usage. Right. Gets exactly. Uh, Nets, they just need a high usage type guy. So if you're at that level and you can afford that guy, get him 110%. But yeah, it's, it's really a fit thing. This guy should be top three in my book. Next on the list is Marvin Bagley. We talked about him a little yep. bit earlier with Duke. He's he's the new type of tweener. Yep. He, he's not quite a center, but he also doesn't quite have the shooting ability yet to step out and be a modern three or four. Mm-hmm. He's 6'11", but he's a little bit lean. What are your thoughts on him as an NBA prospect and what he did in college. with I mean, his production in college is unquestionable. 21 points a game, 11 rebounds, 61% from the field. But how do you think that translates to the next level? Well, it's always good when you have probably the, one of the most NCAA experience. It's always good getting into that. But at, with that being said, some players don't really need NCAA tournament experience, um, a la Ben Simmons. But with that being said... Markel Fultz, maybe? <laughs> Markel Fultz out of Washington. Um but with that being said, I think that his experience will help him a little bit. He had a great tournament. He had a great season. ACC, obviously, a very respected um, basketball conference to come out of. I think as far as ceilings are concerned, he has one of the highest. So he'll obviously go top five as well in my book. Um, could fluctuate, but at number three, I think is a safe pick or number four for Marvin Bagley. Is there anybody else that we didn't get to that stands out to you? Maybe that you're higher on than the consensus is for that guy at this time. Um. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you got some of the the guy, the other Duke guys as far as uh, Wendell Carter, where he goes. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes top five or six as well. Um, Grayson Allen. I mean, he, he he's gonna go top thirty five or top thirty. But we've seen his teammate in um, Luke. Kennard. Luke Kennard going to the Pistons at 22. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes earlier. Obviously, a guy who's athletic, who's played in the ACC for four, year, four years. And let's not forget, he has a championship also under his belt. So a guy who can do a lot of things and who's gone against up against the best of the best. Uh, you can take your shot at, at Grayson Allen if you want uh, in, the, in the first round. I think the only reason he has fallen down so far is because of the attitude and I guess, other on-the-court-related issues that he's had. But I don't know. He could be a steal for a team that could use him. Real quick, what do you think of Michael Porter Jr., the freshman This is an interesting one. I don't. Again, I don't know if he helped or hurt his stock by playing fifty a grand total of 53 minutes in his freshman. It is only freshman. The Kyrie Irving route. Yeah, the Kyrie Irving route. Um, well, Kyrie Irving played, what, like 10 games, though? Yeah. It still wasn't yeah. anything. I mean, but yeah, he's... But still, Michael Porter... Um, as far as built is concerned, six ten, like two forty. The guy's good. All right, he he's he's built like a machine. I would I would not feel bad or or feel hesitant and to take him in the top ten. Not at all. Compared to a Marvin Bagley, a little bit more yeah. of a shooter. A little is, bit more of a shooter. Which yeah, is a little bit more of a you know that's a kind of a premium. Right and, now. and you talk about like pre two thousand and three and guys coming out of high school. If that was the case, this guy probably would have been one or two out of high school Gatorade Player of the Year, yeah. which is given to the best yeah, high school player. Heading into this yeah. collegiate season, or I guess if you go back to the like where these guys were in right. high school, he was consensus number one. Consensus he number was one, the guy. hands down. Yeah, and so, it was a surprise that he even went to Missouri. So, so take that out. He's he's number one. Yeah, number one in that high school rank. I think it's fair to give him a top ten draft lottery spot. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting draft class, and we'll definitely keep our eye on it as the offseason rolls closer. But kind of as the NCAA tournament comes to a close and some of these regular seasons come to a close for the NBA teams, kind of interesting to see where these guys now stack up at the next level. Eight and number one, we talk about Doncic, Bagley, a couple other names to watch there as well. 